like, uh, I don't know. I'm like nothing about Marvel. I like sports, and usually those things don't go hand in hand. But so what I did was I asked Matt, the drummer, who who bangs and stuff over here, and, uh, and I was like, he's into Marvel and all this stuff. And I was like, yo, like we're talking about like Jesus and like hero and like what are some things that I could share. And so he he sits me down and uh, and he starts talking. And if you've ever talked to somebody into Marvel and like comic books and like heroes and stuff, and if you're not that person, uh, you like the blood left my face and I went pale. And I sat there in awe that there was this whole world that I knew nothing about. And so if you don't know what that's like, then, then you're probably a Marvel expert and just you know what it's like when someone talks sports to you and it's that same type type of a feeling. And so so I sat there, I like he's like this clip, he sends it to me. I was like, oh, okay, cool, Spider-Man, like got bit by a bug, like whatever. And uh, and I'm all sorts of confused. And and I think sometimes when, when we hear of Jesus as a hero, when we hear of the Bible, when we hear a pastor talking and throwing out these words and stuff, like we sit there in the audience and we're like I'm feeling the same way that I just described, like all sorts of confused. Is it really supposed to be this complicated? And that's one of the reasons why we value simplicity, because like everything else in the world can be complicated. Why can't the church and things inside the church, why can't that just be simple? And in a simplistic approach, why can't we just direct people to Jesus? Because here's what happens when things are complicated. We avoid them. We ignore them. We want nothing to do with them. And in, 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 a, in a worldly sense, in, in a self-sense, when, when I'm confused by something, I want to then take control. I, I, want, I want to be the one to control the outcome. I want to be the one to control the future. I can trust what I understand. I can trust what I can control. I trust me. And so when it comes to, when it comes to the, the rest of my life, when I think about Jesus and the heaven, how all these things, well, well, what makes most sense to me are things that I can trust. So I'm going to trust my control. How is that working out for you? Do you, you might trust yourself right now, but have you always trusted yourself? Do you feel like you will always be able to trust yourself? So when it comes to heaven, hell, eternity, do you have eternal trust in yourself that you've got this all figured out? Because this is confusing. But, but what, I, what I see in scriptures is that God has a spoiler complex. Like, he, he did not, this was not written in the land of DVRs. Like, what he, he's, like, my God is the one that will tell the sports score to somebody that's home recording it, and he'll ruin it for the game. My, my God leaves, doesn't leave anything to necessarily a chance. He's not, he's not wondering if he's, he's the one that says, well, here's who died in the walking dead. Like, he, he, he spoils the plan. And I know that because he gives it right there in Genesis chapter 3. You know, you know what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Uh, here's, here's what happens. Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit. And, and they, they sin. They do some bad things. And so God, like, like, a, like a father, sits Adam, Eve, and, and, and Satan out in front of him like a father giving a punishment. He's just laying out punishment after punishment. And, and when he gets to Satan, you know what he says? He, 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 share, he spoils the ending. He says, guess what, Satan? One day, someone's gonna, you're, you're going to be able to nip at his heel. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to crush your head. <laughs> Victory right there from the beginning. No one's ever died from a rolled ankle. People die from a crushed head. <laughs> and he says it right in the beginning. My son's coming. And he's going to crush your head. So it's right there at the very beginning. 
spoils nothing. But then you get to the very end. And one of my favorite, one of my favorite sections in the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, you, you know what, you know what, uh, when John has this vision, you know what, you know what he says? He sees the throne of God. And you know what he sees around the throne of God and in the throne of God? He sees a lamb as if he were slain. A lamb like he was dead. A lamb like he was defeated. A Baha lamb. But guess what the position of the lamb? He's standing. You walk up to a fight, and guess what? There's a man on the ground and a man standing up. Who won the fight? The guy standing. So in the very beginning, we have crushed head. At the very end, we have, well, he's standing in victory, triumphant. That's my Jesus. So here's one thing that I am certain. Here's our big thought for the morning. I am certain of victory because I am certain of Jesus. I'm going to say that again because we better get this. I am certain of victory because I am certain of Jesus. It's right there. The plan has been spoiled. We know victory because we know Jesus. And we're going to look now at Isaiah. Isaiah is somewhere in the middle of this. You can look at it on the screen. You can look at it in the app. We're going to look at Isaiah. And here's something crazy. Isaiah is written 700 years before Mary's water broke. It was written way before Jesus was on earth. <laughs> and guess what this passage is all about? Jesus. So I am certain of victory because I am certain of Jesus. And the, bequ- the question becomes then, what then, what can I be certain of? As I'm certain of Jesus, what else can I be certain of? What does that mean for you and I? And so what Isaiah talks about first is that you and I can be certain now of success. Here's what he says in chapter 52. He says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. It starts this passage. I will praise Jesus. Praise God. Praise, praise, praise. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. If you're into like grammatical type things, what tense is that written in? It's in the past tense. Because when you're certain of something, it's already happened. <laughs> and so he writes it in the past tense, a prophecy 700 years before. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shudder, shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them, they see. And, and that which they have not heard, they understand. My Messiah, my Jesus, is skillful. He, he is wise. And so right from the beginning, we know that this man, Jesus, will be victorious. But we also know that he's unassuming. We also know that in his unassuming nature, he's going to be horribly disfigured. We cannot just think of the cross like the cross hanging around many of our necks. He talks about it so marred that, marred that some will look at him like, is that even a human? It wasn't an accident that, that Jesus was born during the time period of the Romans. Romans that knew how to kill. Romans that knew, uh, ironically, how to keep somebody alive just long enough. So when, when the ruling officials say, go have him scorched, go have him whipped, you and I might just think like a little, a little whipping. No, it was a cat of nine tails. There, there, was, there was these little bones or little metal spikes at the end of each little whip. And there Jesus would sit hunched over 
And it was 40 minus 1. Why? Because if he was whipped 40 times, the Romans had, had found out that at 40, they likely die. But at 39, they more likely stay alive, and they have to live with that pain. And so with each whip, bones going into your side, ripping flesh out to the point where you can start to see organs at the end of that. So marred, suffering. Why? Because of the sins of his people. But, the, but what does, the, what does, what does the Isaiah say? It's the sprinkling for the nations. If, if you came from maybe out of the Catholic church or maybe you came from maybe a more traditional church setting, you would see the sprinkling as, as the cleansing of sin. That's not language necessarily foreign to you. And that's what he's talking about, that the nations would look upon him and they would, they would see that he has suffered for what? The, the cleansing, the, the forgiveness of sins, that there is success right here, that the nations that would reject him would one day look upon him for the hope of mankind, forgiveness of sins. I ran a race yesterday. It was 13 miles, and, and it was awful. It was nothing, like, run for fun is something that I will never say again. It was, there was, I did not, I trained, I went out for, like, three runs before going, like, I was like, yeah, I'll just run 13 miles, like, ah, it stunk. I wasn't successful. I was certain of nothing. The guy, I ran in an hour and 55 minutes. I was running for an hour and 55 minutes. It sounds as awesome as that. Like, it was awful. The guy that won it, won it in an hour and 11 minutes. So, yes, you and I both hope for the same thing. I hope he got a flat tire on the way home. It was so stupid. But I knew as I was running, as my brother was beating me, as stupid John Bowinski was beating me, as everybody was beating me, all 500 people before me that beat me, I knew that I was going to have to go home, and my son Landon and my son Brady were going to run up to me and say, Dad, how'd you do? <laughs> I'm their hero. I, so I did what you would do. I lied. And, and, I, and I said, well, John and Uncle Justin, they never even made it to the race. <laughs> okay, and then they didn't buy that. And so I had to, like, then I was like, okay, I have a card that you can't play. <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> so I was like, boys, I let them win. I had to be humble. I had to get a sermon illustration out of this. So I let him win. <laughs> we kid of sorts, although some of that conversation really did happen. But when we are certain of victory, when we are certain of success, we can live like that. We can run like that. When I'm certain of the success that I have in Jesus Christ, the victory that I have in Jesus Christ, I can take the low road knowing the high road's coming. When I'm certain of the success coming my way in Christ Jesus, as God defines success, not the celebrity pastor, not as the world with money and riches like that, as success found in obeying Jesus and giving you, giving him his life, then I can live in that presence every single day knowing I have hope for today and hope for tomorrow. I have success as Christ defines success. Second thing, yes, as we are certain of success, here's the ironic thing. We're also certain of rejection. He says, who has believed what he has heard from us? This is the element of faith and believing in something that is yet to happen or that has happened. And to whom has, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Strength. For he grew up before him like a young plant. You see the, the tenses working out in here. And, and like a root out of dry ground. 
perfect. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As, uh, and as I, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. He's born in Bethlehem. None of us know what Bethlehem is outside of the nativity scene, outside of, outside of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we would, it's like a root growing up out of dry ground. You don't expect a big plant to grow up out of, of, out of a dry ground. This is, what, this is what he's saying, that you don't expect Jesus to come out of the place in which he did. There was no huge fanfare. There was a bunch of shepherds that played with dung and sheep and stuff that came and celebrated. The kings didn't come until till later on in the scene. There was, there, he was born in a barn. He's not born like a king with trumpets blowing and all these sorts of things. He was very average at best. His, his, his appearance as he grew was just an average Jewish man. No one was looking at him like, well, this must be the Messiah because he looks like the Messiah. No one says that. He was average and in averageness and in being seen as unimportant or just everyday human being. He was so easily rejected. Rejected partially also because he was a man of sorrow and grief. He knew pain. He knew hardship. People that we know given over to those things, aren't, don't we tend to perceive that as weakness? Don't we tend to perceive that as unimportant, even though that's ludicrous? So they, they cast him off. They rejected him because he was average at best in appearance and worldly standards. Every, every week uh, I have the honor to, to partake with you and I uh, in the God, one love, love, uh, love one, love all, that we're trying to hand out uh, five of these a week, each individual, that we're trying to give out 100,000 of these every, every uh, this year. And so I buy coffee at Cafe Enigma. I give coffee out. I buy a cup of coffee. They come in for a cup of coffee. I say, here, here's a cup. It's free. Just go have them fill it up. It's great, sweet, cool. I'm known as the coffee guy. Cool, coffee guy. And, uh, and so I'll just I'll plop it in there and I'll hand it to them. You know what I have found out? Rejection happens all the time with coffee. I'll, I'll hand it to them, and they'll, they'll take it like, hey, thanks, and they'll keep walking. They'll go behind the, like, oh, in the other room to get their coffee. Then they'll look at it, and then they'll come back and be like, oh, hey, actually, I don't really need coffee today. And then they'll walk out with coffee. Like, okay, you saw the card, and now you don't, you don't want coffee, but you're walking out with coffee. Like, okay, you lied to me. You lied to a pastor. And, uh, and, and so they'll, they'll say that, or, 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 or they'll go, oh, hey, Thanks for the coffee, and then I'll, and I'll circle back there, and I'll see that this is thrown in the trash. Like, thanks for the coffee. You can go stick your card up your butt. Like, okay, cool, thanks, buddy. Or, or they're, they'll walk in the back. They're all lively with me, but then they'll talk to the barista, and they're all loud and stuff, but all of a sudden, as soon as they see the card, ghost of whispers. I'm like right here, like I'm like three feet away, you know, like I understand rejection, but what I've had to come and find out, what I've had to come and tell myself is not let it, not be, let it be an annoyance. Why? Because they rejected Jesus. Because they're not rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus in me. And so if they rejected my God, if we, if we go and we are to live like Christ, guess what we will experience? Rejection. And I think that we should be okay with that. Because if we don't ever want the crowd to reject us, guess what that makes us? A crowd pleaser. And guess what that means? That, that we likely stand for nothing. 
Because if we're standing for everything, if we're standing so that, that I, I'm good for this cause, this cause, this cause, so everybody likes me, guess what? We likely stand for nothing. So when we are in Christ Jesus, we embrace rejection because we stand for something as we give people the love and the hope of Jesus Christ, knowing that they will likely reject it. So we, we, we have certain success, certain rejection, but then certain peace. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed what for our iniquities, all of us. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. All, all, all like sheep have gone astray. And, have, and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all have a condition where we are not perfect. We all could sit around and have a glass of coffee, coffee and tell some stories about some stupid things we've done and have a good little jolly, good little ha-ha about that. We all could do that. Why? Because we've all done some stupid stuff. Because God knows that. God so loved the world, he gave. God gave us a gift. And what does that gift do? Where there was no peace, this gift brings us peace. Where we all could sit around and tell some stories, guess what that also means? We all have the same penalty, the same punishment. That, that, that if you have strayed from God, if you have not been perfect, that God as righteous judge has a penalty for all of us. The wrath of God is supposed to come down upon us. But God sent his one and only son so that we could experience peace. He is our substitute. What happens in a sporting event is, is if you get subbed out, you're playing, you're part of the game, you're trucking, but then the coach says, you're out. And, and it's not like no one comes onto the court. Somebody else comes onto the court, onto the field for you. They start playing as if they were you. That is what it means to have a substitute. And so here we are. We have a penalty. The wrath of God is supposed to be on us. God subs us out. Enter Jesus who takes our wrath. His mission was that of substitution. And what that brings to you and I is peace. We don't wake up worrying about the wrath of God when we have faith that God took out his punishment meant for us on to Jesus. And so we wander no more like, like, like sheep that have gone astray. Now we walk in peace with God. I had a broken relationship growing up. My parents divorced. It was hard. It was heartache. You talk about some suicidal thoughts. It, was, it wrecked me. For nine years, my, that relationship wreaked havoc. There was no peace. Where is there peace in that brokenness? But then nine years later at a soccer tournament at Valley Forge, I saw my parents. They, they were there, and I didn't know this, but they started dating. Didn't figure it to tell us. And I saw mommy and daddy holding hands after nine years, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and then nine years later, they, they got remarried. And where I used to wonder, where am I going to spend the holiday? What's going to happen with my birthday? What's going to happen, like, if there's a sporting event? Whose car am I going to drive? And all these things that were elements of, like, brokenness. All of a sudden, they got remarried and restored their relationship. And it brought peace to our household. 
where Christmases and birthdays were together, where car rides were together. Because peace has a way of restoring things, or restoration has a way of bringing peace. And so God as substitute brings peace to us and to him ultimately. And so if you're a Christian and you wake up every day wondering, where is peace? You're looking at this world. You're looking at the news. Where is peace? Where is peace? You and I can look at the foot of the cross. You and I can look at Jesus and wonder no more. You and I have peace because we have Jesus. So we have certain success, certain rejection, certain peace, and now certain submission. He goes on, the author goes on to say, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that, that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And, and, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, with the, and with the rich man in, in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. We've talked a little bit about this, but yes, my Jesus was oppressed. My Jesus was afflict, afflicted. They will, they will spit on him. They will make a, a, a crown of thorns. That It's not like a little pricker bush out in our backyard. Like These are big old thorns. His scalp will be bleeding because of it. They will rip open his back and put him on a rugged cross with which every breath he's getting splinters in literal organs. They're looking at him, hanging him in front of a whole group of people. Humiliation. He is like a sheep led to a slaughter. Why? Because he's submissive to a plan that was there from the very beginning. This is how victory is coming and so he willingly lays down his life for you and I. He, he's not guilty, but he acts like a guilty one. He doesn't protest. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 no. He stays silent, but never goes to the point of sinning. He stays, he, does, he doesn't sin, but, but he also doesn't say, hey, this is why you're wrong. He, he remains sinless as he had to because he had to be sinless. Because, because the, the imperfect can't die for the imperfect. Otherwise, who dies for that imperfect one? That only the perfect one can die for the imperfect. And so he remains sinless even to the end. He's not calling on his boys, hey, protest for me, because none of them are protesting. None of them are there outside the courtroom. None of them are, only one is at the foot of the cross. No one's protesting for this man, Jesus. And, and so he dies without protest. He remains silent, but he remains sinless because he submits right to the very end. Now, there's a few things that we could look at this 700 years before Mary's water broke. There's a few things that we could look at this and say, this was part of God's plan. We see it. We see how it played out. But this is one that I so love is that he would be buried. Like, what did it say? He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That's prophecy. And 700 years later, that comes true because Joseph of Arimathea goes to the officials and says, I'm a rich man. I got a tomb. You ain't going to bury him in some, like, poor man's tomb. Let me take the body and bury him in my rich man's tomb. That happened. 700 years before, there was a prophecy that said it would happen. And guess what? It happened. Now, now we might not understand prophecy, but let me argue that we do. Because this is the end of March Madness. Tomorrow is the finals of the men's NCAA brackets. 
And, and so for many of us, about a month ago, we filled out brackets. We all thought ourselves to be prophets. We all thought, we all picked this team will win, this team will win, this team will win, this will win. This is how it's all going to play out. And no one's ever been perfect in this, but we all think we are. And so this is my, my family bracket. Every single year, we fill out brackets. And, and my dad is, is winning, but my mom, after, after Virginia won last night, she's moved up to second place. And if Virginia wins tomorrow night, my stinking mother is going to win the bracket between me and my family. You know how embarrassing that is? Because here's how she picks teams. You know why she picked Virginia? Because Justin lives in Virginia. So Virginia must be doing awesome. You know who else she picked to go very far? Oh, LSU, because there's somebody lives in LSU. So LSU, those boys are going to get them this year. Somebody lives in Missouri, so go and get them. Like, she's picking teams based on people she loves. Like, heaven forbid, Mom. Like, yeah, watch ESPN and, like, actually, like, no, like so she picked Virginia, and they're going to, like, Virginia lost in the first round last year. And she picked them. It's lunacy. I am not going to act like her in picking my bracket next year, even if she wins this year. But a good hero, no matter the lunacy of the plan, follows the plan. Jesus could look at this and say, God, this is lunacy. But he was submissive to the very end. So you and I, if we want to be Christ-like, if we want to be hero-like, we submit to a plan greater than ourselves. We, we, we give our lives and we live our lives beyond, beyond ourselves. And so the last thing that we should be certain of is just that certain victory, certain success, certain rejection, certain peace, certain submission, and lastly, certain victory. And it says this, and yet it was what? The will of the Lord to do what? Crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering of guilt, for, for shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge there shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Imperfect people because of Jesus being counted as righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion, a spoil with, with the many. I shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressor, transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It was the Lord's will to do what? Crush him. That's a statement, isn't it? That God, in perfect God, for heavenly Father, looks at his son and says, I am going to crush him. What father would do that? My firstborn sits in the front row. I like you all. Well, I don't love you. I ain't killing him for you. Unless there must be some greater good that could convince me that this is the only way. So God looks and says, there is a group of people unrighteous in and of themselves, and through your death will bring their righteousness. It will bring spoil. It will, they will join you in praise for all of eternity. You will experience utter joy, deep satisfaction as you see a people far from me come to me and worship for all of eternity. It is suffering is the pathway to glory, and God brings glory through suffering. 
talk to a wife. I talk to a mom. I had this the other day where, where I'm sitting around a table like this with Jordan. Jordan lives in my house. He runs the youth and whatnot. We're having coffee. We're talking about very important things like how great Tom Brady is and things like that. And, and Ava comes running down the stairs and says, I have an announcement. And as soon as she said that, I was like, no, this is scientifically impossible. There was a surgery. No, no, Reagan, my little princess, she's going to hate this. We're not having another if you say this because every time she holds a baby, her ovaries flare up. She has to have another one. But it's not possible. And in wanting another one, I have to look at her and say, like, like I was there for those nine months, unless you forget. They weren't that great. <laughs> it was a little hard. Remember your water? You retained a lot of water and like got bloated and stuff. Remember the doctor walking into the to the to the hospital room and and popping whatever he popped and like he was good thing he was in waders because a whole bunch of water came out. It was crazy. I was there. But she sits right now next to Landon. She forgets blissfully about all of that pain. Why? Because there sits Landon. Because there's Brady over there. There's Reagan over there. You ask any mom in this room, they're not going to talk about the pains of childbearing. They're going to talk about the greatness of their child. So God looks at you and says, despite all the suffering, you are worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it because you are my child through Christ Jesus. How did that happen? Because I sent my son to suffer on your behalf. It's the suffering that leads to the glory. It leads to you being my child. He doesn't, he, he's, not, he's not taking pleasure in the suffering. He's taking pleasure in the outcome. He's taking pleasure that you are his child. And so is it every wonder, any wonder that if we want to reject the sacrifice, if we want to reject the one that suffered on our behalf, that God will let it happen? To reject the son, to reject such a beautiful gift is to say, fine, live like the gift never happened. And spend eternity apart from me. But to take that is to take on the sacrifice and to say, I am your child. I do want to live with you forever because I accept that. That means that you and I will also go and likewise, or when we pray for one, are we willing to suffer for our ones so that they understand the greatness of God? Are we willing to give of ourselves like God has given of us so that they would know the beauty of Jesus Christ so that we could suffer in like our Jesus so others would know his greatness? May we do that. I am certain of victory because I am certain of Jesus. Certain success, certain rejection, certain peace, certain submission, and certain victory. God did it. God did it through Jesus Christ. He died on your behalf as a substitute for you and for I. It had to happen that way, and so it did happen that way. Jesus understood it. This wasn't a shock to Jesus. Last night with his, with his boys in Matthew, he says, here's the cup of the new covenant. Here's how this is going to happen. Here's how the relationship is going to be spilled. My blood will be spilt for you. Jesus knew he was a substitute. He knew he was a hero-like figure, but this was the plan. John, John the Baptist, who knew of Jesus, who was, who was telling every, everyone, he's coming, he's coming, prepare the way. What does he say when he sees Jesus? What does he say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of mankind of the world. 
So you want to talk about a hero. A hero is one that substitutes himself for another. You want to talk about a hero. A hero is one that takes the prophecy, although it might be lunacy to you and I, and says, I'm going to follow through to the bitter end. That's a hero, and that's how my Jesus is a hero. Without him, I am certain of nothing. But with him, I have eternal certainty. Forever and forever and forever, I have something, someone to be certain of. And so what do we do? We give him our lives. We give him our worship. We say, Jesus, you're everything, and I'm taking you. I want all of you. (laughs) For some of you, you walked in here saying, he's at an arm's length. I've got this. I don't understand it, so I I will trust me. I'm asking you to trust the one to trust the one. And so right now, I'm going to invite the aisle host uh, to come up here. And I, this, what happens next isn't a surprise. I'm going to invite you to pray and say, yeah, I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to his sacrifice. I say yes to his gift. And so I will invite you into a prayer where you get to do just that. Say yes to relationship with Jesus Christ. Come stand up here. Don't be embarrassed. Y'all are great people. So look at them. And then at the end of that prayer, I'm going to ask, everybody has, has eyes closed, heads bowed, and I'm going to ask anybody that would say yes to Jesus right now to raise their hand and to look at me and what I want to do is simply point these people out and say come get a gift from them and and then we're going to worship and we're going to party because when Jesus is standing in victory we're going to join him stand in victory and praise the roof off this place let's pray God I thank you for this moment I thank you for a room full of people Father, that came to hear something. They may not know of what they were going to hear. They may not, uh, they, they might be here for various reasons, but they are here, Father. Father, would you move right now? Would there be some that are trusting themselves, that came in here trusting themselves, now saying, I trust you, Jesus, and you alone. And if that is you right now, would you pray something like this in your seat? Jesus, I am sorry. Jesus, it is, it is my sin that brought you here. Jesus, it is my sin that put you on that cross. Jesus, it is my sin that led to your body being marred. And Jesus, I am sorry. I am sorry. But I take your gift, Father. I believe that you rose three days later so that I wouldn't stay dead, but that I would have life because of you, Jesus. I accept that today, and I want now to give you my life, to live like you are living your life through me, Father, to live in victory. Today, I choose victory made possible only by you, the Son of God. And if that is you, would you, and you just prayed that, would you raise your hand so that we can get you a gift? Raise your hand and just show us that that I see you. Thank you. We want, and maybe now, maybe it's embarrassing to do that right now, but there are going to be people, you can see them. Grab that gift. There's two over here. So I'm going to invite you now, everybody in this place, to stand. As my Jesus is standing on the throne, we stand with him in victory. We don't take a seated posture. Guess what we do? We don't stay here. We get out those doors and into a community that is rejecting Jesus, and we give them Jesus. Why? So that they can join us and marvel at him. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.